welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters like you how to have more turkeys on your property and more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this through tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. And now, for this week's show. In this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast with Andy Galliano, I am interviewing Colonel Tom Kelly. So I have the pleasure of interviewing him today and a little bit about Colonel Tom Kelly if you don't already know who he is. Colonel Kelly was born in 1927. He's a father, a grandfather, a veteran of the military and a war veteran as well. He's a lifelong forester and an avid hunter who writes nonfiction articles and books centered on turkey hunting. Colonel Kelly has an incredible way of weaving the connections between turkey hunting, human relationships, and history into his writings. Undoubtedly, if you've read any of his works, you've identified with at least a few of his tales or expressions of the sport of turkey hunting that we love so much. Colonel Kelly's sense of humor, wit, and elaborate storytelling skills have made his books bestsellers among the turkey hunting community. He wrote 10th Legion in 1973, and he's written numerous books and magazine articles over the years. Colonel Kelly currently writes a monthly magazine article that readers can find on the last page of Turkey Country Magazine, which is produced by the NWTF. This interview is broken into three parts. You are listening to part one. In this first part, we do lose audio for about 10 seconds during the interview, so please bear with us during that downtime. And without further ado, Colonel Tom Kelly. By my count, and now I'm, I'm trained professionally as a mortgage originator, so you know I can't count real well. Um, but by, by my count, I've got 19 books that you've written that are not like uh, you know, best of chapters, that kind of stuff. Is that correct? That sounds a little high. And Does it? Maybe not, but some of them, well, yeah, some one or two of them are. See, the, the, this, uh, this business, the, the one that's called Old Tom and Laura, is a, is right. a collection of stories that concern my daughter and me hunting together generally when she was small. And yes. most of that has appeared before. And then that thing that, that they pulled together that was called the Best of Tom Kelly. Right. Uh, that that is uh, in the opinion of Jim Cassida and Jim. What the hell? It'll come to They pulled together what they considered to be the the thirty best individual chapters that I that I've written. Yes, Jim Spencer and Jim and, and, and Jim Cassidy together, and those had already appeared before. And then, uh, that on a rising tide is a collection of stuff that of individual articles that had already appeared, and generally, until actually until about 
I guess, 25 years ago. I used to do, I regularly did four or five or things a year for Field Street, Outdoor Life. Uh, and in those days, Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Sports Illustrated used to do what they uh, pleased not to call the blood sports. You know, they, they still uh, they still eat hamburgers and they still wear leather shoes, but somebody else does a, shoots the animal or skins him, and they, they, it, that way it, it's a no count, see. Right. <laughs> so, right. And then and then the thing it really and it really stopped me from, from dealing with the, the magazines. Uh, I, I was I'm a, a regular contributor to outdoor life and field stream and and sports uh, sports field for a while. Was was the length in 40 years ago, uh, 35 years ago now, whatever, it was a long time. They they used to be very rigid on 3,000 words. Wow. If, a, if an article didn't have 3,000 words in it, you got a sticky note saying, Tom, you do understand that there are 12 eggs to a dozen. And if you ran for 3,200 words, you got a sticky note saying, Tom, you do understand we ain't paying you to write novels. <laughs> now they want 1,500. And the 1,500, 1,500 was pretty short, man. You know, those, those things on the back of that thing I do for the for the uh, for, uh, Wild Turkey magazine. The, the, Turkey Country, yes, sir. Yeah, the thing in the back. Uh, yeah, those things run probably seven hundred. Right. So you you get to talking fifteen hundred words, and it's uh, you you end up saying me and saying we're turkey hunting, and we killed four, and ain't got a hell of a pile of them, and they had nine inch beards and inch and three quarters spurs and. That's it, you know. So, and at that point, I just said, "The hell with it." Uh, that's that's really what what put me in the business of, of doing our own stuff. And then David, David, I met David in, and David does the marketing and all the dirty work. And David actually got most of the brains anyway. And he's the one who was was after me to do something with the uh, audio books. And I said, David, ain't don't nobody listen to that shit. And they, I, I mean, I said, hell, I don't want to read a book myself. I don't want to listen to a regular old man to, to read one to me. I've been knowing how to read for a good many years. And he pointed out to me that I really ought to get in the 20th century before the rest of y'all got to the 21st. And, <laughs> and of course he was right, you know, and uh, I just I had no idea that was as big a thing as it is. And it is. And a lot of folks would tell me that I I do it in the car. If I got a long drive to go, I plug the thing in and, and listen to it. And, and right. all that's going on. The world the world moves on. It does. It does, that's for sure. Well, Tell me, tell me a little bit about how you got into turkey hunting. How did you first get introduced to the sport as a young boy? I was, my, I had an uncle that worked for the shipyards in Pasquale, uh, Eagle Shipyard, Eagle Company in Pasquale, and there was a guy that worked for him in the shipyard who had been, I guess you have to call him a, 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 a river rat. Uh, he right. lived on a houseboat. His name was uh, uh, 
Kennedy. Uh, and he lived on a houseboat upstream on the Pascagoula River from Pascagoula. Oh, not all that far, 20 miles, 25 miles. Yes, he had three sons. He had a boy my age and one younger and one older. And I went over there because these boys lived on a houseboat. They lived out there in the woods. And, you know, I envied them as far as I was concerned. They were like Huckleberry Finn. Absolutely. And I went over there every chance I got. And uh, every time they didn't invite me, I hid until they did. <laughs> and uh, uh, Louis, <laughs> Louis Kennedy was his name, delightful fellow. And he, he and his wife, Molly, and the three boys. And uh, they got to talk about turkey hunting. And the first turkey I ever gobbled, I thought it was a dog barking. It was, uh, it was on the... And uh, the, the, uh, it sounded just like a dog barking, and they pointed out to me that it wasn't. It was a turkey. That's what they sounded like. And uh, there wasn't any houses within 10 miles of the, in the direction that thing was gobbling in. And, of course, we didn't kill him. We didn't get around him. But, and, right. and, and, and in those days, in, in the late 30s and early 40s, we were, we were right at the bottom of the room. And that was the low limb on the tree, man. If you heard a turkey gobble, it was a success. The hunt was a success. A guy who killed one a year was pretty good. A guy who killed two a year, you hung around in his backyard in case he let a secret leak out, you know, that you might could take yourself and use it. Which you knew wouldn't happen. Well, You knew there were not going to be any secrets leaked. Yeah, well, the thing is, they, they would never tell you anything. In point of fact, uh, that early element uh, absolutely would lie to you. They'd, oh, give yeah. you. they'd give you advice like something you ain't covered enough ground, you ain't yelping enough. You know, they were they were, <laughs> they were I, I can remember he and my grandfather talked to him, and, and my uncle talked to Louis Kennedy and talking about me. And I can remember him saying, well, it's a pity to start him because he's going to like it. And when he gets grown, there ain't going to be no duckies left for him to hunt. And that's a pity. It's like telling a kid there ain't no Santa Claus. Uh, and, and if things had kept going as they were going in the early 30s or late 30s, it would have been right. Because, you know, I've got here in somewhere on the Field and Stream magazine from November of 1944. And in that magazine, to give you an idea of how the world has gone, the, the uh, magazine listed the complete hunt regulations for all the states in the United States and all the Canadian provinces, and that's both native and migratory game on two pages. Wow. Now, wow. they take two pages to tell you what you're going to read beginning on page 83. Uh, That's true. Uh, uh, it was, uh, and in, all, in those days, there were only 14 states in the Union that had a turkey season at all. And of those 14, only three had a spring season, Alabama, oh. Mississippi, and Arkansas. And Mississippi and Arkansas season wasn't but about 10 days long. Okay. Uh, the number of turkeys in the, the the number of turkey turkeys was low, but so was the number of turkey hunters. You know, you get 
And you, you'll never know because you, you, you never know when you bought, bought, when he got about a hundred license what he's going to buy. But if you know the, the three, the only two areas in Alabama that it had any turkeys was in the extreme northeast corner of the state and then in the extreme southwest corner. Okay. Uh, and and uh, uh, gosh, I, they probably wasn't they probably wasn't fifteen hundred spring turkey hunters in the world. Wow! And and now I think they said there was fifty five thousand people at the last at the last National Wild Turkey Convention. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was thin, thin, thin on the ground, man. It just. Well, it, in, in one respect, though, in one respect, it was easier because while you might be hearing the only turkey gobble you were going to hear all week, he might be hearing the only hen yelp he was going to hear all week. Well, that's true. And there was none of this business of him. Like he does now, sit up there on a roost and gobble three times, and then there's nine hens have arrived under the tree, and he flies down and starts winking at the pretty ones. <laughs> you know, he he every a lot less of this fooling around on the outskirts, and, and let's get it on, let's get it on. That he is right, but uh, uh, it's a, it's a different world altogether. Kid nowadays. The good ones are not just not getting here. We know something about turkeys, not nearly as much as we think we do, but we know something about turkeys. Uh, a kid now, if he's hunting in pretty decent places, will be exposed to more turkeys in five years than I was in the first 25. Right. And that's yeah. the way you learn, by being stupid in front of turkeys and letting them point your errors out to you, which they are charmed to do. And, and and working your way along like that, you right. I, I don't really see anything much that's going to stop it. The uh, you know a lot of folks are not don't really don't realize this. The uh, United States has been cruised. The temper in the United States has been cruised every ten years, state by state, since 1952. There was a thing passed in called a Resource Planning Act, and they they set up these these permanently established plots in every state, and there are not many of them, but they go back to the same plot every ten years and remeasure it. The trees that are, you remeasure the size of the trees, and if it all the trees are cut out and it's pasture, it becomes pasture and it ain't woodlands anymore, and and that's been going on since '52. And the uh, the volume of timber in the, in the United States has doubled since 1952. And although, oh, really? yeah, and although when you say this, they rise up and often throw big rocks at you. The percent in the southeast, the percentage of hardwood is exactly the same as it was in 1952, except that the hardwood, 60% of the timber in the south. In, Sixty percent of the timber east of the Mississippi River is hardwood now, and that was so then. Hmm. So all these so all these stories about the world has turned into a pine plantation, and ain't it a goddamn shame? Um, um, promulgated by guys that's looking out the window of the automobile on their way to the football games on Saturday afternoon, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And these are not my numbers. 
Right. The state of Alabama, for instance, uh, a a landowner in in every state is the same, but a landowner in Alabama has got uh, who has got a resource planning act uh, plot on his on his acreage knows he has a plot, but he doesn't know where it is, and they they do that deliberately so that a guy wouldn't treat that timber differently from the other timber that he owns. So the numbers are right. I mean, they, they just, you, you can you can not like them or you can dislike them. Or, as, and at Beaton sometimes, I'm accused of being a tool of merciless tree butchers. Uh, that ain't got <laughs> anything to do with it because it ain't my numbers or it ain't the merciless tree butchers' numbers. It's the numbers. And that's the way it is. Now, yeah. that can't be. Well, that's been a long time. We creeping up on we in a hundred years, but we creeping up on hell seventy. Yeah, well, you know it it does appear that way when you're when you are driving down the road. It sure looks like, at least in the state of Alabama, that we sure do hate trees around here, especially uh, some hardwoods. Yeah, but so it we, looks like that uh, you know we want to replace all those with pine trees. But, we, uh, well, we no matter how long how hard we've been struggling, we ain't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good news yeah. and encouraging. Well, it's encouraging news, and what's 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 sort of a little weird about it. The state of Alabama in, in the state of Alabama in 1952, uh, I, I forget what they planted, but it was nearly nothing. I'm talking about this in, in pine tree. Uh, yes, sir. Maybe, maybe, maybe 175,000 acres or 200,000 acres or something like that. And then, of course, where we're, we're at now, we're in the, in the position now where pretty much every pine plantation replaces a pine plantation. Okay. That you makes know. sense. So you ain't, you ain't, we we pretty well got got it where we where we are going to go and with all the money and all the time and all the effort and all the superior seedling and, and uh, seed orchard trees and uh, genetics and all that and all the, the concentration on pine 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 the fact the fact that hardwood has done just as well as pine and nobody paid any attention to it. So, sort of makes it the, the uh, true of what I've been saying for years. Timber grows no matter what foresters try to do to stop it. They, 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 they don't have no effect on it one way or another. It's just like true. they went out in the backyard in, 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 in funny hats and grass skirts and doing uh, practice witchcraft. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. The numbers are there. The numbers are in print. You can, they're on the web now. But there was a volume, a thing that published every, it's published every 10 years, and you, you call this place in Missouri and uh, wherever it was then, and they sent you a copy for nothing. Uh, okay. And it's, well, it's there right now. You can get it. It's on the web right now for nothing. And nobody looks at it. Nobody, when I say this to folks, they go off. You can see them muttering when they go off. I knew he drank. I do this somehow with that fellow the first time I ever saw. Uh, I hate, well, I hate that's, the feelings, but that's the way it is. <laughs> well, you know, just like uh, the books on tape 
that we were talking about a minute ago, it's a lot uh, it's a lot better for for you to tell people than it is for them to go read it themselves. So uh, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe man. we're covering the same amount of ground as we would as as if you told somebody to look at it from the internet. Nobody reads at the convention <laughs> at this last convention, and then they said, and I, I can't argue the point. You know, they said there was. I think it's. I heard one number of fifty-nine thousand, and I heard a number of fifty-four thousand. They had the convention in in uh, um, the Nashville, I'll take a convention in in Nashville. Nashville, yes, sir. Uh, we, uh, Friday and Saturday, which are the big days out there, and, and the exhibit hall is just packed jam. People walking by the booth and such numbers that sometimes they can't stop even if they want to. The people behind them push them on. I, I stop and count every once in a while for you know a couple of minutes or so. <clears throat> and, and probably 25% of the people passing the booth were texting. Yeah. <laughs> in there, in there, they can't look at anything. I don't, and I don't know who they texted, but they're walking along pushing the little buttons. And, they're telling everybody on Twitter and Facebook that they're at the convention. Uh, yes, that's what it is. Uh, yes, that's what it is. But they're not paying attention to what's going on at the convention. You're right about that. We, you know, talking about the convention, um, I was on and Facebook. I was actually on your Facebook fan page uh, not too long ago, and I saw some pictures of some people uh, that were taken with you that have Tenth Legion tattoos on their bodies. Yeah. What are your thoughts about all that? Did you ever think when you wrote that book that people would be getting that tattooed on their bodies? <laughs> no, I didn't. I really didn't. Uh, <laughs> but you, you know now that you, you got tattoos everywhere, man. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Thanks for tuning in to part one of episode three of the Turkey Hunter podcast with Andy Galliano. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of episode three where Colonel Kelly shares his thoughts about why the turkey population has rebounded so well and his motivation for writing the 10th Legion. If you would like to purchase any of Colonel Kelly's books, you may do so on my website at www.iamturkeyhunting.com. Click on the store link on the menu at the top of the page, and you can browse by category and search for turkey hunting books. You can also purchase his book by going to www.tomkellyinc.net. Thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.